0: Rettle literally just came alongside me and turned in. Where well, he protested me! I like a water Okay, I get to pee in your seat. Hey, hey, steering right. wheel, somebody tell him to give it to me.
1: Simply, simply lovely.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Back of the Grid for the Belgian Grand Prix. I am Chris Evans, and I'm joined by Tom King. Hello! And just by Tom King this week, our Stu (laughs) is away for work, unfortunately. So just the two of us this week. Yeah, we are here to talk Belgian Grand Prix, but I guess we should probably start with the sort of news that happened in the days leading up to it. Um, We had Force India turning up in Belgium with no guarantee they'd even be able to take part in the race. They were seen scraping logos off the side of their trucks and stuff. It was all very strange. Um, But I think it was, was it the Thursday? like the day before practice, it all finally slid um, into place, I think.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was circulating around Wednesday about what was due to happen. Um, yeah, I don't think anything
0: like was officially confirmed until Thursday morning. Yeah, very last minute. Um, but yeah. yes, we sort of got the identity change that allowed them to take part. Um, Force India are no more. We now have Racing Point Force India F1 which I imagine everyone is going to call Force India. And in fact, everyone did for the entire rest of the weekend, didn't they, on TV? Well, I did hear something while we were watching the
1: race that apparently they've pretty much just asked to be continued uh, being known as Force India for the rest of the season, possibly just for ease and the fact that the team that's there, the car that's there and everything is inherently Force India. I don't think they're going to be you know, the new consortium of racing point that's going to be driving the team forward isn't really going to have any impact on this season. So I think out of maybe a bit of respect to obviously everyone that had worked
0: on the on the car up to now, they've just said keep calling us Force India, which is yeah. uh, fair enough, I think. It makes sense. I think the main thing was removing the Sahara from the front of it, because obviously that's one of them. Um, Vijay Malias brands, which is yes. he's no longer involved. But yeah, they are technically a new entry so they've lost all their constructors points uh, up to this point. Um, but the drivers do retain their points and they also retain their um, power units usage. There's no sort of nice loophole where they can just have a a fresh batch of power units for the rest of the season. I find
1: that interesting. I can't remember how it worked when the drivers moved teams because obviously we had that a little bit last year with the Toro Rosso specifically as well. Um, And from memory, did Hartley and not inherit somebody else's that's exactly what happened yeah engines so it stays with the car so if it stays with the car if it's a new entry should they not get a clean slate especially if they're getting yes. their points wiped i think that that's just like picking and choosing how it works that that is the one thing about this whole thing that i found questionable is the fact that they've said you can't have your points because you're a new entry but you can suffer the yeah. the penalty of any engines that have been used by the previous team.
0: Like mm. Yeah, I think it was basically deemed in terms of sporting fairness that would happen. And to be honest, I imagine that was probably that probably played a part in the fact that they also are gonna to get to keep all their prize money. Cause all of the rival teams basically came to agreements to eleven to keep the prize money. And I'm sure one clause in ah. agreeing that was You can have your prize money, but there's no way you're getting a fresh batch of engines to beat us with. I must confess, I did not realise that they'd
1: finally decided that they will get the prize money. It seems that way. Possibly is like
0: you say, maybe a clause in it saying we'll allow it, but I imagine so. Yeah, I think Hass are still not thrilled about the situation, but it seems like they went along with it in the end. Yeah. Um. Obviously, now everyone's kind of expecting Lance Stroll to end up <clears throat> in a pink car sooner or later. In fact, everyone that got asked about it over the weekend <clears throat> kind of seemed to say, yeah, that's probably going to happen, including Lance Stroll was asked about it, Force India people asked about it, Claire Williams was asked about it, and they all kind of said, well, nothing's happening, but yeah, it's probably going to happen. Um, <clears throat> it looks like that's probably not going to happen in time for Monza, but maybe in time for Singapore. Um, yeah, there,
1: there were a lot of rumours circulating in the lead up to this week that um, obviously when the, the buyout was, you know, more or less unveiled, that Stroll could end up in the car as soon as the weekend just gone. Yeah. So whether that is the case or not, o- can had some interesting things to say about it himself, didn't he?
0: Yes, yeah, so the camera sort of picked up a conversation between him and Vettel after qualifying, I think it was, um, where Vettel was asking him about like, whether he's got a seat for next year or not. And Ocon basically said he's got nothing because Stroll is going to be in One Force India and Perez brings enough money to keep the other seat. So Ocon currently is out of a seat at the moment. Um, it's interesting that Hamilton and Vettel have both kind of off their own backs said how much they think Ocon deserves. A seat in F one, and that if he doesn't have one next year, something must be, you know, clearly wrong with the system. Yeah, it was interesting to hear. You'd expect that of Hamilton up to a point, because obviously Ocon is a Mercedes driver, so he's, you know, part of the same driver family. But for Vettel to feel the need to say that as well, you know, that's nothing other than respect for the driver, is it really?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's it's respect for the drivers with talent, because we've always. Been of the opinion that you know Archon's got a talent and given a chance, he you know, he might, he might get a shot one day, but yeah, um, it's it, it comes back to as well, I think, with people like Hamilton and Vettel saying that it does come back to that as much as they want to win the titles, they feel more vindicated winning titles against the better drivers. Like, yeah, totally. if the rest of the grid was all paid drivers and they were just walking it, yeah, sure, fair enough, they'd have titles, but the titles that mean the most to the drivers are the ones that are hard fought. And they all yeah, say totally. that. And, and I can completely understand that point of view. So I can see why someone like Ocon is kind of who they want on the grid because you want those talented drivers coming through, not just people that have got the most money in the back pocket.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to wonder at this point whether Mercedes are starting to regret giving Bottas the contract extension because Bottas has not had the best run of races and, you know, they desperately need to find a seat for Ocon because he's, I think Mercedes definitely see him as their future, I think, it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, the the only thing that I guess you, you might see if they really struggle to get him a seat and the whole swap between Stroll and Williams doesn't come about, then... Maybe he ends up being sort of test driver, reserve driver at Mercedes next season, Possibly, doing a lot of simulator yeah. work, and then was was boss's extension a one or a two year? I can't Just quite remember. Just a one year,
0: as far as we're aware.
1: So there's every chance that maybe getting getting him in the sim, in the garage, maybe doing a few FP ones where possible, yeah. and then having him in the car in 2020 possibly like it's it's yeah, an option possibly. at least if, if they really want to keep him in the system
0: because me I mean mercedes now have ocon and george russell they need to find seats for and that's true there's russell <laughs> as well yeah nowhere for them right now is there um i think williams is like an obvious other choice for them but it it's seeming like williams might be more interested in giving uh kabika the promotion to a race seat which i think a lot of people would obviously like to see um, there's also yeah. been rumour that Toto has been talking to McLaren about um, Van Dorn uh, making way for Ocon for the rest of the season.
1: I think this week
0: I've seen a rumour of Toto talking to just about everybody about Pretty Ocon. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, he's definitely doing all the right things, though. Um, he managed to qualify third, just ahead of his yeah. teammates, um, over the weekend uh, for the brand new team, qualifying third and fourth <laughs> on their debut, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, it's gonna be very interesting to see how all this shakes out, though. Like when when it all stops, a, a number of people are going to be left without seats, I think. And it's you just have to hope that it's the the talented guys like Ocon who deserve their places who end up with something to drive next year, I guess.
1: Yeah, it is going to be a shame if we lose someone like Ocon from the sport. <laughs> I think. That'd yeah, be definitely a shame. Uh, it's, to be fair, it's also going to be a shame if he's having to trundle around at the back. In a Williams that's under par, also because, true. Like if he ends up there for the rest of the season because this stroll swap happens and that's that's what goes ahead, then. His performance as the rest of the season. Well, it could actually cement how much of a better driver he is
0: potentially. Possibly. It,
1: you know, it, in theory, it's an opportunity to put himself more in the shop window because if he can outdrive that car and do better than what Stroll and Sirot can are doing with it, That's it true, justifies yeah. the fact that he is a quality driver. Um, so there's there's opportunity there if he gets lumbered with that position.
0: But ideally, I wouldn't want to see him have to go through that. Which is why I guess McLaren would be an interesting place for him because he'd be up against Alonso, which is, you know, he's very much a known quantity. So we would be interested to see how he measures up against him. Yeah. Poor Stoffel. Yeah, poor Stoffel. <laughs> he's had a. Um, after the race um, last weekend, he said something about basically saying, like, the McLaren hasn't improved all season and really <clears throat> just down on the team and the car and stuff, which sounds to me a lot like a man who knows he's on the way out which is a real shame. Again, depending on the rumours, there might be space for him at Toro Rosso potentially next year because they're short on drivers, but who knows? We've done far too much speculating on drivers 2019 (laughs) at this point.
1: Yeah. It's been the weirdest year for it, this one, I think, hasn't it? Despite all the driver swapping and stuff last year with the Toro Rosso, I think this has has. given us the most talking
0: point in terms of driver contracts and moves this season I think especially when to start with I think we kind of considered Raikkonen to be one of the sort of people with the keys to the driving market and once we knew what Raikkonen was doing everything else yeah. would start to move and we still don't know what Raikkonen's is doing <laughs> and yet everyone else feels like they're moving <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah Um. I guess we should talk about the race then um, yeah Almost everything of note, I think, happened on that first lap, didn't it, really? Um, <laughs> yeah, is this going to be a 10-minute conversation about turn one and then... I think 10 is ambitious, not- to be honest. <laughs>
1: yeah, but then not much else is what I was Yeah, pretty <laughs> much.
0: So I guess most dramatically, um, Hawkenberg just missing his breaking point by about 20 metres, by the looks of it. <sighs> yeah. Um, plowed into the back of Alonso, who was then launched over the top of Leclerc, ending all three of the races instantly. Um most importantly, uh Charlotte Clerk was absolutely fine. Um I think it's fair to say the Halo did its job. Mm-hmm. I mean there's there's been more and more camera angles of that crash appearing over the weekend. And I think the the one that really shows it off is the onboard from Hartley, I believe it is. Yeah, um there's two. There's that one
1: and then the other one that I think gives you a very good idea of how it went down is there's the long shot from the outside of the corner, and yeah. as, as Alonso comes over the top of the clear, you can literally see the underside of the car bounce off the halo cross point where, like the the up bar meets the the halo bit itself. Yeah, um, the center bar,
0: like the T point. Yeah, I mean you'd obviously see the damage to the halo, but when you see those shots, you can because my initial reaction was okay that was close but I don't think the car would have actually hit Leclerc if the halo wasn't there mm. but when you see it in slow mo the Alonso's car is actually kind of rotating through the air and where that rear wheel has hit the halo it's it was like swinging in his direction it's yeah
1: but there's there's a moment where like say the underside of the car sort of makes contact yeah, with the halo like a double hit. and bearing in mind um La Source is a very tight right-hander there's every chance that I've not studied the footage enough to notice, but there's every chance that his left hand is quite high up out of the cockpit, making that right hand turn, depending on what point he is in the corner. So there's, yeah, there's you true. know, there's every chance for something to come across and m- m- not even a head injury, something like, you know, it hitting his hand and doing some serious damage to his hand yeah, or possibly. something like that. Um, it's, um,
0: it's done its job though, but definitely, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, there's no doubt about it that the Halo has done its job. Stu did bring up one interesting thing that I'd not really considered, which is that as Alonzo's car was sort of spinning through the air, the front wing actually came very close to kind of going in the gap in the Halo. And, you know, there is the, there is the potential situation where in a freak accident, someone's front wing could kind of go through the gap in the side of the Halo. Yeah. And it was something that would be a, a freak accident. I think Stu's point was that it shows that the Halo is still a... What are you saying? An incomplete solution. Yeah, it's it's um, fallible, isn't it? It's not. It's yeah, not yeah. Perfect. Um, While it's definitely there and done his job and potentially saved him from serious injury or worse, like it's still very much stage one of a journey of um, cockpit protection. Yeah, and
1: to to go along with what Stu's saying, from an FIA point of view, I. It's, I don't think it's ever been a complete solution anyway, has it? I think they've always intended to to come back, review it, make changes, yeah. and, and so on. So I think given things like that accident this weekend, things like that will probably start to get covered and tested against because surely Stu's not the only person in the world that's spotted that You know, the angle yeah. that that car's hit the other could have... Ended differently with like what 10 degrees of rotation or something, so yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I saw a lot of people that were concerned about the state that the Halo looked it was in after the crash, but to ease concerns that I've seen online, um, the thing to take note of is yes, there's a lot of damage to carbon fiber that's cracked and and so on, but. Had the car been able to carry on because it something had gone like over the top but not done damage to the rest of the car, the halo should have still been structurally sound because underneath all that carbon fibre, it's a huge titanium framing, um, which is why they're so heavy and it's why they cost so much, because it's a huge piece (laughs) of titanium, and that underneath will have still been structurally sound. It's more of a um a carbon fiber casing in effect that's around them to a give the teams a way to like paint them stick sponsors on them do whatever they want but b also to make them a little more aerodynamically friendly and cover up any joins in the titanium things like that so yeah don't be too alarmed by the way that the carbon fiber is cracked it's not that's not the halo in itself so to speak
0: Yeah, I think the fact that in that impact between Alonso's rear wheel and the halo, it was the McLaren suspension that just completely shattered on the impact shows how strong that halo is. Yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, obviously great news to see everyone walking away from that because it was a pretty nasty crash. It was.
1: Um, Very reminiscent of, what was it, 2016? No, no, it can't be 2016. He's been back in the sport that long. Twenty fourteen,
0: um, the Grosjean crash you're talking yeah. about. Um it was twenty twelve. Wow, that's a lot longer ago than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, me too.
1: Where the hell did I get twenty sixteen from? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, it was very reminiscent of that. The just the sort of not the not necessarily the outcome so much, but obviously the. Um, the whole scenario of events, like someone hitting the back of somebody else, somebody flying over a cockpit or someone made a turn, like very similar sort of scenarios. And it's quite interesting how far a car like that can fly, considering that they're nowhere near like racing speed jet. You know, they've only just left the line and they're full of fuel. Yeah. Um, so for that much force to be, involved in both accidents both the old one with Grosjean and then um, obviously this one this weekend it's it's interesting to see how much force there actually is like I say in an F1 car at that point in a race
0: it is yeah um, speaking of that Grosjean crash there uh, back then he got a one race ban following that crash whereas Hawkenberg has only I say only got a 10 place penalty for Monza. <laughs> Um, which some people questioned. Um, Charlie Whiting basically said that the reason Grosjean got a ban back then is that that was kind of the last in a series yeah, of Yeah, it was about his third offense, um, wasn't it? In, in yeah. the same and season. It was, I think they'd all been that Yeah, season. and it was, actually, it was actually that incident that prompted them to bring in the penalty point system that we now have. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Hulkenberg, to his credit, held his hands up and said it was completely his fault. Um which I don't think anyone's going to yeah. argue with.
1: Using the using um, the common excuse this season of, I was behind a bunch of other cars and the front felt totally unloaded, i.e. I had no yes. yeah, front aero and therefore no front grip.
0: He was very quickly loaded up with a McLaren when he played with the McLaren. <laughs> yeah. Hello, true, um, very true. I did enjoy Martin Brundle saying that Alonso's orange car had been peeled. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he also like just sprayed fluid all over everything as well. Oh. It was yeah just an absolute just mess that water like. and coolant and everything spewing out of
1: the side of it all, yeah. all over Paul leclerc if his day wasn't bad yeah. enough he was then absolutely covered, covered in, coolant. in coolant and water and stuff from the radiators
0: meanwhile on the other side of the track um bottas who had to start from the back row after a penalty for an engine change because mercedes guys were using new spec engines this weekend and um, he had a he missed his breaking point all on his own and smashed into the back of uh, Sorokin. Thankfully, not quite as hard as Halkenberg hit Alonso, um, but he shattered his front wing in the process and was later given a five-second penalty for that. Yeah. Um, then in the middle of the track, we had Ricardo going into the back of Raikkonen, um, which broke Ricardo's front wing, um, also gave Raikkonen a puncture and just smashed his rear end and floor to pieces. Although that wasn't actually. Ricardo's fault. It was weird. Like you saw an onboard of him hitting the back of Raikkonen, and then you saw a shot of him with no front or rear wing, which was a little bit confusing for
1: yeah, a while. Yeah, he got sandwiched. He's actually Alonso. Was, was it Alonso flying over that yeah, made contact with that? I wasn't sure if yeah. it was him or somebody else that had clipped him in the process. At one point, when because of the carnage and trying to assess everything that was going on at one point when i saw bottas's front wing and ricardo's rear wing i i was thinking that they'd come together like in the yeah. instant of it
0: all um so yeah it was no it was interesting um, before yeah before alonso's front wing got anywhere near the clerk it just swiped straight through ricardo's rear wing and just absolutely destroyed it right. um which then pitched him into a slide, which is why he hit Raikkonen. <clears throat> so, in a way, you could argue that Hulkenberg actually took out four of the cars because Ricardo and Raikkonen both ended up yeah, retiring. Very true. Red Bull did an incredibly quick front and rear wing change on Ricardo's car, um, but he still went two laps down. Um, and so, eventually, they retired the car. Uh, and then Raikkonen. The actual reason Raikkonen finally retired was that the rear damage was so great that his DRS flap couldn't hold itself closed anymore, and it was just ah, flapping right. open all by itself. So I, knew the, I knew there was in. issues with it, but I didn't realise the specifics. So that's yeah, all very messy. Basically, it's, yeah. it's a classic first race back after the summer break, it's, isn't it? Everyone just kind of—it's a classic sparse
1: start, like <laughs> it really is. It's—I don't know—like one of the most carnage-filled starts I ever remember in my time watching. Formula 1 is the 1998 Spa start in the wet yeah. where David Coulthard got out on the the grating for the um drainage system and just <laughs> lost it and like that Waited that out, wiped out pretty much a whole field of cars that if like from memory there was 12 cars done
0: something crazy and, like that luckily that
1: was back in the day when they had a spare yeah, car yeah and half half the teams had half a team out on the track because they had one <laughs> spare car. So, yeah, those are the days.
0: <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I would say the three messy starts I remember is that Grosjean wiping everyone out, and now Hulkenberg wiping everyone out. It's always turn one at Spa. Yeah.
1: What? What about? What about though? Just to throw this in the mix while you're having that debate, um,
0: Singapore last year. I thought you were going to say that, but that was only three cars, I think, wasn't it? That was the Two Ferraris and Verstappen, I think. Did it, uh, may, I thought maybe somebody else, well, had, maybe Alonso got. I caught thought, caught up uh, I thought well.
1: somebody else got caught up in it, and made it four, but I could be wrong.
0: Maybe it's top four anyway. It's up there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's up there. Um, so for those cars that did make it past turn one, um, they managed to get about four or five corners of racing in before the safety car was called. Um, Hamilton managed to keep the lead uh, with Vettel and both Force Indies behind him. Um, and then Vettel just got a massive toe down the camel uh, camel straight um and just sort of swept past hamilton and then the four Indies kind of decided they were gonna have a bit of the pie and did the same sort of thing and we got a brief four wide moment and mm-hmm. um, before ocon and perez very sensibly i thought backed out and let hamilton and vettel <clears throat> take the corner with vettel managing to hold the lead yeah um Ocon reckons he only needed about one more meter of straight uh, to be able to take the lead. <laughs> he did look very, very close, didn't he, at one point? I really thought he was going to just go down the inside of everyone.
1: Yeah, I I think part of that is maybe just sense prevailing of, I'm better holding position here than trying to get in a fight that I ultimately can't win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that, that shot down the camel straight of them all coming towards it uh, with them three yeah. or four abreast, it was insane for two reasons one to see that it was impressive but two to see the Force India being two of the cars that were in the mix was also interesting
0: (laughs) yeah it was absolutely amazing like Force India were far and away the fourth fast well time's the third fastest car but in the race the fourth fastest car this weekend which is damn impressive for a team that's only just come out of administration (laughs) Um, then the safety car restart I think was probably Hamilton's best chance to retake the lead but he basically just made a complete hash of it didn't he Um, he decided to have a go in the final chicane and just went too deep which then gave Vettel a gap so he could avoid the slipstream up through Orooge and Radion and down the Camel Strait which is Most of the overtakes at spa happen slipstreaming down that straight. Yeah, I was just about
1: to say, it's easy for me to say in hindsight, sat from a chair in my recording room, but like (laughs) I would have held off and tried to stay on his tail and you know, go for that move because without DRS, that's your opportunity is to stay behind someone and slipstream. And obviously, you know, it's what three laps without DRS, so that's your time to do it um, in that scenario. But yeah, I think that there was there was a lot of feelings from Hamilton and Mercedes that they just didn't have the the pace that Ferrari had, which is surprising uh, on a track that is uh, more of a power engine track. You would expect Mercedes to feel confident, but. You know, there's, there's upgrades in that Ferrari in recent times that have really, really closed that gap. And if anything, Ferrari could be looking in a position where they may now have, as, as strange as it is to say, a better engine. As in, it is yeah. better all round because, well, it's a better car all round, I think. It's probably, the, maybe not necessarily the best car in all aspects, but the Ferrari is definitely, in my opinion at the minute, mm-hmm. the best all-round car.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, we've spent the last what four years saying, "Oh, it's a power track. Mercedes are going to run run away with it," and that's just not the case anymore. Like, this is a power track, and Ferrari were just always fastest, really. Other than qualifying, but then that was, I think, yeah, I think that's rain affected, and that's
1: we always say the rain's the great equalizer, and I think there's elements of Hamilton's changing conditions skill that led to the pole. Um, but yeah. the the gulf between Hamilton and Vettel, and then down to the Force Indias behind them, it was what nearly three seconds, wasn't it? By the by the end, or more than I three seconds, so, yeah. possibly.
0: No, it was a pretty big gap in the so end.
1: So it just shows like those two cars are still well ahead of the field. Um, it's just particular drivers being a on the track at the right time, but also b having wet
0: weather skills. Yeah. We also then, shortly after that, had Verstappen passing Ocon for third, which was just sublime. That yeah. move, he like sold in the dummy, made a relay day of the inside, absolutely perfect on the brakes, just slowed down enough to hold that inside line. Yeah, just incredible move. Um, we also had Bottas passing Hartley, uh, into El Rouge, which was very exciting. Always love an overtake through that. Yeah, we'll, um, I know we'll get to them eventually, but those are probably my two candidates for move of the day yeah absolutely Um, and in terms of the race at the front Mercedes tried the undercut that didn't really work Um, I think partly down to Hamilton ending up behind Verstappen after uh, his pit stop but that was basically it wasn't it once Vettel survived the pit stops he was gone like Hamilton never really looked like catching him Yeah. um, Um, which as we say it's like that Ferrari just looks like the fastest car I think we might see some happy
1: Tifosi come next weekend
0: yeah this is the thing it's like we've now got monza coming up another power track similar characteristics in in some ways to Spa, which i think ferrari probably gonna be the fastest there after that we've got singapore which has always been a bogey track for mercedes um like Hamilton's lead could just disappear in the next few races i think and it is now on
1: ferrari and vettel to not have an implosion like they have in the
0: last year or so. In this scenarios. is the thing, isn't it? Um, they got this far last yeah. year, and then it all fell apart. Kind of around Monza, Singapore, sort of. Yeah, time. well, it was it
1: was Singapore specifically, really. That was the huge turn. That was point, the real. Dample, like yeah. that double DNF for them, um, giving Hamilton all those points, and then he just kind of ran away with it to in in the back end of the season. So, it's, yeah, he was gone at that point. I, I can. I, I hope that Ferrari don't just run away with it from here because there's you know there's potential that if Vettel and Ferrari are on form, they could win a huge majority of the races that are left, uh, I think, yeah. with the position that they're in now. So I hope that they don't completely run away with it because I do want to see some competition down to the wire. But in the same thing, I hope that we don't see what we've seen from Ferrari in the last year or two where... Still, mistakes or bad team decisions have cost them any chance of taking that
0: fight to the end. Yeah, I think luckily for us, Hamilton is still ahead. So I think if Hamilton can come second to Vettel, Vettel still needs three races to even draw level on points. So it's not like he can just disappear up the road now. But then again, halfway through the German Grand Prix, we were looking at Vettel running away with things and we saw how quickly that swung around. So
1: Yeah, it was uh is it down to a six 17 point gap
0: now i think something like that uh i believe it's no i think it's no you're right yeah 17, 17 points
1: so and what is it it's i'm trying to remember how many points it is between the two positions it's seven points isn't it 25 to 80 yeah so you're looking at yeah like you say you know it's two races of first and second for Vettel and Hamilton respectively closes the gap right down and then one more race of it like you say that third race is yeah. where the swing would happen providing it's first and second for, for them two in that order each race
0: yeah which has happened quite a lot this season but you never yeah. know one of the fins might finally come good <laughs> Um, What else happened? We had a really fun battle between Ericsson and Hartley for a while, Um, even though it wasn't actually really worth anything, because at that point Ericsson had made his pit stop and Hartley still hadn't. Um, But they still spent a few laps just taking it in turns, passing each other through La Source and uh, into Lacourne, which was quite good fun. Yeah, it was Um, was
1: basically a battle of returning DRS, wasn't it? In in a sense. Pretty much, yeah. Just staying within that gap to get the DRS and then overtaking, and then the guy falling behind, staying within that gap to get the DRS. And it was was one of those kind of fights, in a way. But it was still entertaining to watch, for sure. Especially at that point in the race where we were almost sat thinking, well, this is done.
0: (laughs) Yeah. From a um, front runner perspective. I do think, though, that DRS was a bit too powerful. This weekend, most of the DRS passes happen way before the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely needs some tuning. I, th- I think since the changes to this year's cars, they've sort of not quite been getting the DRS right a lot of the times because it definitely needs a bit of a a rethink. Do you think? I, um, I
1: personally thought they'd done okay with the adjustments this year because they, we've seen a few races where they've extended or shortened or added DRS zones and. I thought in the majority of them, it was doing an okay job of getting people yeah, up along so. up alongside to make the move, but they've still got to do,
0: you know, they've still got to do the overtake, they still got to make the yeah, move. I guess so um, there's definitely been some where it's been more like this weekend, yeah. where it's just too much. As as long as somebody
1: is taking note of that, and then mm-hmm. when we come round to so. the next time, it's right. Well, we're moving this DRS zone, or we're shortening it, or whatever it might be that would have a good impact on that then I can't see it being a problem because we've always been of the opinion here, all three of us, of its quality over quantity. And
0: it's all
1: well and good having 100 overtakes in a race, but if they're all just someone going past somebody else with DRS on a straight, it is not entertaining in the slightest.
0: Exactly, yeah. Bottas uh, ultimately fought his way from the back back up to uh, fourth place. He was kind of saved by the other incident causing a safety car, really, because his pit stop to fix his front wing on lap one was kind of a free stop because he was behind the safety yeah. car. Um, he had a pretty easy time of it. Um, there was nothing he did that was more spectacular than his move on Hartley through our ruse that we mentioned. Um His five second penalty for that turn one incident <clears throat> didn't make a difference in the end. Um And that was about it to the end. Everstappen completed the podium. Everstappen was basically all on his own <clears throat> yeah. ever since he got past on. He had the most lonely race. Um it's still like pretty decent pace from the Red Bull, at least. He finished way down off the top two because, what was it? Yeah, 31 seconds off the lead in the end. Yeah,
1: um, 20 seconds behind Hamilton, I think it was. Yeah,
0: but then Red Bull haven't looked particularly quick all weekend, have they?
1: No, and to be honest, is it a place where you'd ever expect them to, to look no, it's strong not. in this era? I'd say not. No, not at all.
0: Um, is there anything else from the race you wanted to mention, or should we dive um, into some...
1: Just just a quick one, really, to say I was quite pleasantly surprised to see Gasler coming home ninth in a Honda powered car because we know yeah. that the Honda engine is not known for its hmm. power to push a car so and to to bring that home there, albeit that some considerable retirements behind him that maybe help facilitate that position becoming available, but yeah generally speaking I think to to be ahead of like a Ferrari powered Ericsson uh, Sciences Renault stuff like that it's good result for, for Honda I guess as uh, going into the partnership with Red Bull next year
0: yeah definitely Um, so I guess we can get into drive of the day then um, yeah I think Marcus Ericsson we should give a mention to. Actually, you just mentioned his name. Um, for him to get 10th place, I think it was a damn impressive drive. Um,
1: <laughs> we didn't give him much chance of that, did we, in predictions? I feel bad we now. We didn't,
0: no. In fact, no one did. Um, we'll get to predictions in a bit, but most people had him significantly further back than that. Um, but he, I mean, he on pace beat the sole remaining Renault of Carlos Sainz. Um, yeah,
1: he was unlucky in qualifying as well, to be honest, because didn't he? Am I not right in saying that he had an issue either fuel or engine related that didn't let him get a second run?
0: I believe he did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Um, good drive from Sorokin as well. Actually, he was like right on the back of uh, Carlos Signs for a lot of the race. Um, yeah. Handley outdid his teammate. Um, Sorokin is putting in some. Very understated, really solid drives this season. It's just a shame that in that car, a really solid drive is like a 12th or a 13th or a 14th <laughs> yeah, place, so it
1: sort of goes under the radar. That is a good drive for them at the minute. Um, they, it is, yeah, a really good drive. They're lucky to even get a sniff of the points, which is a shame in on many levels. Yeah. Um, it's why I'd be disappointed if this strolled Ocon thing goes through because, yeah, then again, if you like, like I said as well, it's his opportunity to really shine because if you can somehow drag that thing near the points, then it shows something. Um, I saw, so who is your driver of the day? I don't, don't know. I, I saw a lot of people going with Bottas for managing to drag himself up to fourth, but I have a slight issue with that based on the fact that we're not very keen here on giving driver of the day to someone that smashes into the back of somebody else, damaging themselves and somebody else. And that's not as good as the drive through the field is and the good overtakes and stuff like that. I'd happily point him out for for things like that, but to give him the overall drive of the day, um, I'll question it. I'd be, honestly, I'd just be tempted to give it to one of the Force Indias just because combined with qualifying and then the drive in the race to just dominate that midfield battle and give a good fight to the leaders while it lasted in the early stages, I'd I'd probably want to give it to one of those. Like Best of the rest usually is where I end up on most races for this, but I think the Force Indians are definitely deserving of of it this week between them, maybe as a duo.
0: Possibly, yeah. Honestly, I think Vettel's worth a mention as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely he just absolutely nailed that first lap to take the lead did a great job at the restart and yeah, it was just his, the fastest man out there all day. His stints when fighting the undercut as well his stint yeah. there was
1: utterly impressive um, just the time he was putting in, in a sense of I need to make sure I maintain this gap going in against an undercut and it ultimately paid off because he came out like just in front of the a and Hamilton fight, uh, and he wasn't that far ahead of it. So those sector times he was putting in on his way in made the difference. Um, so definitely worth a mention.
0: Um, who, who got the official one? I actually think it might have been Bottas. Hmm. But you know, be the official one if you start way down and finish high up, you're almost guaranteed it.
1: Yes, I have to disagree with the majority of the F1 world. I start. I- Mm. Uh, do you know what I might actually just give it Vettel I might just say Vettel yeah. I think I'm, he's I'm, well deserving of like it to give
0: it to the winner but I think on this occasion yeah solid it's solid hard drive. to pass him yeah um, we've already alluded to this but move of the day um,
1: for me it's completely, a toss completely up. between those two yeah, for me toss up between the Bottas round Hartley and then the
0: um, Max on. was it Ocon or was it Perez which one was that one it was Ocon was it Ocon yeah, um, it's it's Verstappen for me. That was as close to a perfect overtake I think as you can find.
1: Yeah, and in a in a closer fight, I guess as well. The yeah, the, the power and performance difference between the Red Bull and the Force India is significantly closer than yeah, the definitely gap between a Mercedes and a Toro Rosso. So on that basis,
0: I will concur with you. Cool. And finally.
1: Honestly, what the f- are we doing here?
0: Hulkenberg. yes, yeah, it's Hulkenberg, isn't
1: it? <laughs> no debate. Hulkenberg.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's watch everyone else break and then count to three and then I'll hit the brakes. No, it's not how that works.
1: <laughs> yeah. I saw a very good meme. Can't remember where I've seen it. I'd like to give credit to it, but it was the picture of that incident with like Alonso in the air above Leclerc, stuff like that. It was it was the shot from wide of it all kicking off. And then the meme was just welcome to online racing in F1 2018 because it Mm coincides with the launch of the game. And wherever that meme was, if you are a listener somehow well done, because that was my Mm -hmm. favorite meme of the weekend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Should we have a little bit of inbox?
1: Yeah, let's do some inbox, box, box, because we've had a few in from, the race and last week and such like. So uh, the Jean-Denis Delatraz posting experience, I (laughs) I guess, does that mean it's going to be (laughs) short-lived? I don't know. (laughs) Is that what this alludes to? But uh, whoever that is says, uh, if given more of a chance as a driver as opposed to a glorified pawn for Vettel, is Kimi Raikkonen a legitimate champion contender? I know age is everything, though I can't help but think he's been a bit wasted this year. Um, almost always at the right place at the right time but the favouritism towards Vettel is costing him better finishes if not victories
0: hmm yeah it's an interesting one it was like this was yet another weekend where he was looking really quick I think he was fastest in P2 or P3 wasn't he and then come qualifying it just all fell apart for him yet again yeah issues
1: with the amount of fuel in the car meaning he didn't get a second run if I'm right yeah that's point. right yeah um, in fact, Anders varda had some words to say on that, didn't he? Oh, in fact, yeah, that is another inbox, box, 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 box. We'll come <laughs> to that one. Um, I think we've all said that Kimi is clearly one of the most consistent drivers this year. Um, so, yes, I think if not used as a defensive weapon at times, um, he would probably have definitely wins under his belt this season. I'm I'm of the opinion that if not for a couple of strategic decisions that weren't in his favor from a team perspective, he would probably have a win or two under his belt.
0: Um well you've only got to look at Germany, haven't you? Like yeah. he was used as a defensive uh, person for Vettel then and when Hungary. Vettel crashed out, he wasn't yeah. When Vettel crashes out, he wasn't in a position to like, you know, yeah. step up and take the win instead.
1: Yeah, and then Hungary is the prime example where from from a seat in a stand with a limited access to a screen and no circuit <laughs> radio, we could blatantly see that Kimmy <laughs> Räikkönen had been pitted as a weapon. Like, yeah, exactly. The fact that it was so blatantly obvious to us in a stand looking at one corner is shows how obvious it must have been to the rest of the world. <laughs> and the prob- I think the main problem here is Kimmy's just happy to go along with it. I yeah. think he's enjoying driving, and he's already got a world title, and maybe he's not quite got
0: the desire for another anymore, and he's just happy to turn yeah, I was up and race. Say, whether whether we think he's a championship contender, I'm not so sure. Yeah,
1: that well, um, that's what I was going to allude to. There was, I yeah. think, for that reason, he's probably not a championship contender because he doesn't if he had the pure drive to be a championship contender i think he would stand up more to the team and he would take the victories that are yeah open to him rather than being used so much as a as like a, a strategic tool um so, yeah, that's that one. Um, as Chris mentioned, Anders Varda sent something in. Um, so, Vettel had fuel for q- Q3 q and Kimi didn't. It seems like Kimi got the rough end of the mechanics and engineers, mm-hmm. just editing on the fly there, <laughs> uh, getting mm-hmm. pretty tired of the terrible job they do on Kimi's side. Ferrari sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I- I'm not sure if Anders is normally a Ferrari fan. I've seen comments from him before, and I think he's a Kimi fan more than a Ferrari fan, as evident from that comment, but don't hold me to that.
0: Um, No. Yeah, what he's alluding to basically is that they said it was a fuel miscalculation, which meant that Räikkönen didn't have enough fuel in his car to do a second run in Q3 um, when he was looking like a potential pole position, man. Mm -hmm. Um, He wasn't happy about it
1: either, was he? You saw that. The way that he was out of the car, shaking his head, walking out of the garage you could see that he was clearly unhappy with the yeah, fact definitely. that he wasn't out on track.
0: It's a pretty basic thing to get wrong, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And this is a thing, right? These are the sort of mistakes that end up costing Ferrari. Now, yeah, while they're making him on Rankin's side of the garage, I don't think they're as bothered. Like, if they were making him on Seb's side of the garage and it was costing them the driver's title, because that's what they're interested in, I Imagine think you'd the see opera, different reaction actually, if that happened the other way around. Yeah. Like it's it's interesting that Anders points it out because I don't think enough people really took note of it. In all honesty, because of the side of the garage it was on. Yeah. Same as if it had happened, I think at Mercedes to Bottas, I think that more people would have noticed it and maybe been a bit vocal about yeah, it had it been Hamilton than Bottas. So.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, and Jarrett JW Fall on Twitter says so you guys don't think that Norris got FP1 partly because Alonso might not want to drive um, so many theories in the episode but no Occam's razor so <laughs> that alludes back to our discussion of why <laughs> Norris is testing uh, in FP1 and got Alonso's yep. seat rather than Van Dorn's. Um I don't know if it is strictly that I think it's more that with Fernando not being there, it's less useful for him to begin in the knowledge. Like yeah. it's, it's solidly fact that Fernando will not be there next year. It's slightly up in the air between if Norris and Van Dorn will get a seat to accompany signs, basically. So I think that putting them against each other. It's partly what it is. The fact that Norris has been confirmed to do FP1 in Monza, but this time in Van Dorn's car, I think is just in interest of fairness to rotate between the two drivers. Yeah, And I think had Alonso been there next season, Norris would have possibly had Van Dorn's seat on both occasions because uh, Alonso's feedback and experience is more valuable.
0: I think. Yeah, that's probably true. Although, let's not forget that at one point in FP1, when there were no other cars on the track, McLaren sent Norris and Van Dorn out at the same time on the same tyres, on the same track, mm-hmm. which felt a lot to me like, all right, you two go out there and show us what you can do. Yeah. Um, that was
1: a straight shootout for the position next year. It was, yeah. I it's,
0: I mean,. It's slightly unfair because Van Dorn had some uh, mechanical issues, which meant he had like half the laps of Norris across the practice session. But Norris did finish slightly ahead of Van Dorn. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I just feel really sorry for Stoffel. He's in such a bad situation at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's not great, but. (laughs) It's not. Hopefully, in time, at least some definitive future will come out of it for, for someone. Like, at least if if it doesn't go in Stoffel's favour and Norris is announced for the drive for next year or a move for Ocon is announced and it's confirmed that he's going there and he'll be there next year. As long as there's some certainty, at least he can then just get on with doing whatever he's doing and look ahead at what he's going to be doing next season. And I think it's the, the uncertainty that gets to the drivers the most, because I know it would me if it was me. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. um, But that is it for inbox, box, box, box this week. Um, So I guess the other thing to round off the show is prediction time. Um, So we've got like a a back to back this week. So we have results from Belgium as well as a look ahead to Italy. Um, In terms of Belgium, we had a, Leader in terms of points in Tim Fostvet, who scored what was the only person to score three points. He got Lewis Hamilton correct for the fastest qualifier, Sebastian Vettel correct for the winner, and was spot on with the number of finishes with 15. Um, Close behind him was Anna Sidorova on two and a half, who got the number of finishes right, 15, got Ericsson's position right of 10th, and was the closest on the first DNF, and the only person to score half a point in that category because nobody got it spot on. Um, Anna said Charles Leclerc, and um, yeah, that got her half a point because it was closest to the actual official first DNF (laughs) of
0: Hulkenberg. Um, Yeah, I think it had to be Hulkenberg this weekend, didn't it? There's no denying that. Yeah,
1: Um, Anna was also one of the only people that put... um, ericsson in the points there were a couple of people that said ninth um tom ling was one of them um phil mark was another i'm just scrolling i think that's all i can see so sorry if you said that and i've missed you but um yeah not many people gave him a chance as chris said no. earlier so overwhelmingly many people scored one point and that was because most people were going for doubles of either hamilton hamilton or vettel vettel for pull and win um between the three of us, we managed a measly one point each by getting Hamilton right for pole. Um, hmm. So what that does to the standings, um, Dominic Poole is tied with Oleg Sidorov at the top of the overall leaderboards on 19.5. Yeah.
0: Oleg uh, outscored Dominic this week, so he's drawn level at the top. Yeah,
1: um, Henrik Lindoff and Jake Petroski are then tied behind them on seventeen points, and then tied behind them on sixteen and a half points is Eric Richardson and Anna Sidorova. Um, Anna, the standout person in that top six, I'd say, because she's two races down on everybody else as she was late to the party, proving yeah. that you can still get up to the top of that leaderboard even Definitely.
0: if you didn't start at the beginning of the season. Um, We've also got Harvey Edwards in 16th place, who's only entered nine races, yeah. and there's still, uh, still outscoring very much people the who've been in the whole time, like me, <laughs> yeah. for example, well, who's only forty seven. I was just sort of building to that,
1: but um, in terms of the podcast team, Stu's the leader of the three of us. He's in eighth place overall with 15 points. I'm in ninth place overall right behind him with 14 points. Um, A lot of people are tied with me on 14 points. Clint Andesvada, Tom Ling, Michael Batchelor and Paul Kelsall. And then somewhere down in the 40s, 47th, we have Chris Evans, who is on five and a half points. And Mm. um, you are one of the only people in double figures down that end of the leaderboard, which is (laughs) grim for you. Um, But enough of that. It is time for Italian Predictions so, yes. this is normally Stu's remit. He's the one that goes through the board. So, I guess <clears> I'll just carry on talking because I already am. <laughs> Keep on talking. Um Chris, qualifying fastest in Q3, <sighs> who are you going for?
0: I mean, this is hard, isn't it? This is really hard. It should be Mercedes based on the last four years. Yeah. But... Hmm. I'm interested to see where I'm you can. Go. Say... Mm. I'm going Hamilton. You, I'm going you're Hamilton sticking with it. Yeah. I
1: personally um, was very tempted by just car and driver track history, but I'm going to stick with my gut, which told me to stay with current form, and I'm going to go Vettel. Uh, the, the Ferraris have proven that a power track in inverted commas is not instantly a Mercedes track anymore. So I think that the power of being at home combined with their newfound form in the engine means
0: we might see yeah.
1: a Vettel pull.
0: I I very nearly went with that, but I still think Hamilton might just get it in qualifying. Yeah. Well, in terms of the win personally,
1: I'm going for the double. I'm saying Vettel again. Um, race pace has been on point. His race craft is, other than odd mistakes, on point at the minute, it's it's his for me. I cannot disagree with that. I'm going Vettel as well for the win. So basically, you're going for a similar result to this weekend. Basically, yeah? yeah. First DNF, Chris. Who do you think will be the Hulkenberg um,
0: of Monza? Mm-hmm. So interesting, last year there wasn't a first corner incident, which you'd expect. It's a very tight chicane, isn't um, it, that first chicane? That's... It is the first retirement was lap twenty nine wow. last year, and that was um, Palmer with a transmission. See, rally.
1: I'd be suspect. Of... Then I don't know. Is it the? It's quite a long run down to the first turn, isn't it? Does that not maybe lead yeah. to the field is automatically stretched out a bit rather than being bunched? Possibly,
0: yeah. Maybe that's a reason for it. So, who are we going to go for? Tricky, really tricky. Um, I am going to say. Let's go for a classic. Let's go for Grosjean.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. Um, For me, you're thinking turn one incident. Um, Hmm. I'm I'm tempted to go with my own new theory that the run down to the corner is quite a long one so they'll be spread out. There'll be no turn one incident. So I'm going to think mechanical lines... So that makes it more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> um I think it feels like it's about Max's turn for some bad luck from like an engine perspective or something. Danny Ricks had a Yeah. We we tend to see this big swing between the two, so I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to say some sort of Max mechanical failure.
0: Nice.
1: Uh number of finishers that goes to me first. Um, um
0: only two retirements last year. Hmm. Seems um, how I have
1: a DNF down. I can't say everyone will finish, but uh,
0: yeah. There's... Oh, actually, no, sorry, that's not true. We had two classified but didn't finish, so it was actually four yeah. last year.
1: Hmm. I'm. There's a lot of runoff at the, that place these days, isn't there? There's not much gravel left anymore,
0: so. It's only really the Lesmos where you can go off and get stuck.
1: Yeah, so that doesn't mean really that happens so much anymore. No. No. Um, I'm going to say quite a lot of finishes here and go 18. I think that a couple of mechanicals maybe, but no major incidents. Touch wood.
0: <laughs> that sounds about right. I think we're going to go one less. I'm going to go 17.
1: 17. And then random driver, can you generate one for us, please, Chris?
0: I can. And it is Carlos Sainz. Ooh. Ooh. Um, had a rough time of it in, uh, in Spa, didn't even finish in the points. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Hmm. I should go first. So I'm going to see what you say. Damn. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for 10th.
1: 10th. Interesting. I think for me, the way they struggled at Belgium would indicate they might struggle here as well, possibly. I don't know. I'm going to go 11th. Just outside the points. Because I think feels the resurgent force right. in Deer and the Haas uh, are going to be mopping up those 6th, 7th, 8th sorts of positions. Um, so then it's down to like the Renaults and stuff to fight it out.
0: I'm glad you're thinking similar to me there.
1: So that's where I'm going there. Um, and in terms of Stu, Stu we will make him send us some predictions at some point over yes. the internet.
0: soon. Definitely before practice, because we can't give him that advantage.
1: Yeah, he Uh must do them today (laughs) or else. Uh Um, If you would like to get involved with the predictions, you can do so yourself uh, at backofthegrid.com. Just head there, head into the predictions section where you can register if you're not already registered and then submit your predictions for this upcoming weekend. Yes, please do. And yes, as we've already said in the results from last week, it's never too late to join in because uh, you can still catch up most of us because the scores (laughs) aren't that high. And there's always a prize for anyone that gets a clean sweep of all five correct in a weekend. Um, If you'd like to follow us generally, you can follow us on Twitter at BackoftheGridF1. You can find us on Facebook by searching for BackoftheGrid. And you can find us on Instagram at BackoftheGrid. Plus, there's also a little contact us form on the website at BackoftheGrid.com, where you can fill in, send a question for inbox, box, box, or an opinion, or whatever it may be. And we will cover it on the show.
0: Yes. Um, As always, uh, wherever you listen to us or talk to us, if you could give us likes and shares and subscribes and all those things, that would be very, very much welcome. Uh, And also don't forget that our listener survey is still open. uh, If you just go to survey.backofthegrid.com, it only takes five, 10 minutes to fill in uh, just to give us a bit of feedback on who you are and what you want, so we can make the show even better. Uh, And as a thank you, we'll enter you in a prize draw to win a F1 team cap of your choice. Um, So you've got a few more days to fill that in, I think,
1: by the time this episode goes live. That will be closed on race Sunday of the Italian Grand Prix. And then we will basically pick the winner next Monday. So you've got a week to do it, more or less. Uh, And then we will announce the winner on next week's show, which is the Italian GP review. So you have a week to get those in uh, overwhelming response so far. So thank you to anyone who is listening, who has already sent those in some great bits of feedback that we're sort of skimming through and suggestions and things like that. Um, and it's nice to see so many people getting involved, even in something like that to help the show grow. So thank you for that. If you have already been involved and thank you in advance, if you choose to go there after listening to this.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, and I think that will do for so this week. So thank you very much for listening. And we will speak to you again after the Italian Grand Prix. Bye everyone. Goodbye
1: Boom, my turn this week. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This podcast is part of BritPodScene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritPodScene.com or BritPodScene on Twitter to find out more.